Today, I would like to speak to you about the transforming power of God's leadership in our lives. Our reading for today is 1 Samuel chapter 22, just verses 1 and 2. And this is the context. It's a story from the life of David. And David, up to this point, has been loving life. He's worked his way up. God has raised him up uh, from shepherd to uh, palace kind of leader uh, under King Saul. And things are all going well until King Saul starts to get jealous of him. Now, at this point, he turns against him and David ends up having to flee away from his family away from his friends uh, uh, for his life and eventually ends up in this one place and he's all by himself uh, and then he has to run away from there and they kind of identify him they think oh is this that guy who's on the run and he has to pretend to be uh, crazy uh, to get away from them so he kind of goes from the the highest highs all the way down to the lowest lows and that's the context where we begin our reading today David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Jesus is often quite direct with his disciples that life will not always be easy. He says this in John's gospel, I've told you these things to prepare you for the rough times ahead. Later on, he says, I've told you these things so that when the time comes and they start in on you, you'll be well warned and ready for them. Jesus is clear that life will not always be straightforward. And uh, I was reminded of this passage as we were looking uh, a few weeks back at the story of the pool of Bethesda. Uh, You'll probably remember there's this pool and Jesus is on his way to one of the Jewish festivals, one of these festivals of hope. In fact, uh, a bit like today, Palm Sunday, this was uh, remembering Jesus entering in uh, to the beginning of Passover. And he's going to one of these festivals to celebrate hope and on the way he takes a detour and he goes to this place of absolute hopelessness, the pool of Bethesda, where there are the blind, the lame and the paralyzed. And into that place, Jesus brings hope for the hopeless and he brings healing and he does something absolutely wonderful. And as we were looking at that passage, I was reminded of this story because in a similar way, uh, David has been full of hope and he now ends up in this place where there are people full of hopelessness. And uh, he ends up doing a bit like what Jesus does. He brings hope to this pretty sad place. Now, we we read, uh, first of all, the first people to kind of join him there are his family. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Now, that's probably not great news, if we're honest, for David. Like, if you'll remember, the story starts that uh, David's brothers don't really like him. He's like the kid brother that they kind of want to forget about. Even his father, when he's asked to present the whole family uh, uh, to uh, the prophet Samuel, kind of forgets David. He kind of just leaves him out. So he's like the last and the least of the family. And uh, so... uh, as like they don't really like him to begin with, but then as David takes power and rises, they kind of rise as well, holding on to his coattails. But that means now that he's lost power, they've also lost influence. So he's not only dealing with his own kind of disappointments, he's now dealing with his family's disappointments and he's having to carry them as well. 
But then we read, the others who are there are these, those who are in distress and in debt or discontented gathered around him. And you have to feel sorry for David, really. He's at a pretty low point. And then the, the people that choose to be around him are probably not the people that you would choose. Like his first team meeting is all the people that nobody else wants. Like at his first team meeting, they couldn't even take an offering because everybody there owed more than they had. Like, and the problem is, like, if, like, it's hard to be around one person that's like that. But when you get a load of people like that and you put them into one place in a cave here, it becomes a literal echo chamber of their sorrows. And probably the chorus they're probably singing is, why does this always happen to me? Sandy Miller, who uh, was with us a few months back, said, he, he used to say this, that every community and every workplace has its own cave of Adullam, where the discontented get together to complain. And it's so easy to be drawn in, isn't it? I remember Miles sharing how he noticed that in his, uh, in his workplace previously, when he worked in marketing, that the Adullam's cave was the meeting after the meeting, where everybody would gather around the water cooler to say what they really felt and what they probably should have been saying in the meeting, but were, were too cautious to say so. And it's those kind of places, those kind of caves, if you like, that are so easy to be drawn in. And what we see here is David does the opposite. You know, the question is, what do we do when we find ourselves in a cave of Adullam? Well, we read this. They gathered round him and he became their commander. This is the first time that David ever gets called a commander or captain or leader. Uh, but even that's not really good news. He's like, he's not really leading like a, a team that's victorious, really. This is like, like getting promoted to like top chair of the Klang Valley Kazoo Band or yay, I've just been made the CFO of Enron. Like he, he's now a leader of a load of losers. But the amazing thing is they do not stay that way. Under David's leadership, these people are transformed. Ten years later, in 2 Samuel 23, David is now king, and he speaks of all the leaders who've helped him get to where he's got to and helped him to unite the nation. We read this. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Josheb, Bashab, I don't even know where to begin to pronounce those words. Those names are pretty hard, but those are the key leaders. And we read that he has three mighty men, he has a band of 30 mighty warriors, and then there are four others. So in other words, 37 incredible leaders, and all of them emerge out of this cave. Those people start as discontented, full of debts, and in despair, but they become 37 leaders, or 37 leaders emerge out of this group who we are still talking about even to this day. David did not despise the day of small beginnings. David did not despise the day of weak teams. As he looked around his surroundings at the hopelessness, he avoided the temptation to think, this is the way it will always be. This is the way these people will always be. He was able to see them with the eyes of Christ, who sees us not as we are, but who we are in his love and who we are becoming because of his love. You know, there's this saying that says, we overestimate what we can do in one year 
and underestimate what we can do in five. And I think this story really illustrates that, although the, the, the time span is a bit longer. We often underestimate what we can do over a long period. This is 10 years. But also, we often underestimate how much work that's going to take. There's 37 leaders out of 400 that are exceptional. So it's a ratio of 10 to 1, but it's also 10 years of hard work, of working alongside each other in faith that God will deliver what he's promised. This story invites us to look at the situations we find ourselves in and look at the situation with the eyes of Christ to see people as he sees them and to see ourselves as he sees us, but also to lead in those places, to be like David and to step up and to lead in those places. But obviously to lead in that place means we have to be willing to be in that place. And caves are not the places that we would often choose to be. David achieved amazing things in his life, but the backstory of his life involved a lot of times in caves, a lot of time in caves. But what we see in the life of David is that God does some of his best work in dark places. The key cave is a key theme in David's life. It's the moment where he has the choice of either stepping up or caving in which I've just realized is a pun, but was totally unintended. But he can either step up or he can cave in. And, and, and he chooses to see the crisis as an opportunity. There's been a lot of talk recently about being in lockdown and people pointing out that it was while he was in lockdown from the plague that Shakespeare wrote King Lear. I wonder if he wrote back. And uh, it's also whilst he was in lockdown that Isaac Newton made his breakthrough on calculus, though I bet neither of them were doing lockdown with kids. Uh, and possibly for the introverts, uh, the idea of being uh, socially distanced is, is a dream come true. But for many, this has been a time that's been emotionally challenging, financially challenging, and relationally challenging. All those emotions are those, those three types of people that we saw in the cave. And the thing is, David is only able to lead in this way in the cave because he allows Jesus to lead him when he's in his own cave. See, as dangerous as it is to, uh, to look at the caves we find in the workplace, possibly the most dangerous cave of Adullam that there is, is our internal cave, where we sometimes retreat and we allow our own disappointments and our own discontent to echo and seem a lot louder than they actually are. David has learned to allow himself to be led by Jesus when he finds himself in those places, to allow himself to be led by the Lord who in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. There's this amazing prophecy in the book of Micah where it says this, I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of the Mer Shahar. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Do you know what? In any cave that you find yourself in, the glory of Israel Jesus is present there and he invites you to gather around him, to come just as you are with your discontent, with your debts, with your disappointment. And the thing is, from Mary's womb to Jesus's tomb, we see that God does some of his most amazing work in dark places.
And if you feel that you are in that cave, either literally or internally, Jesus is present with you and wants to meet with you. All through John's gospel, the glory of Israel is revealed in Jesus. And it is most revealed firstly at the cross, but then in the tomb. And most of all, as Jesus steps out of the tomb, he steps out of the cave. And the thing is, Jesus not only steps out himself, but he wants to lead us as well. The cave is a key theme for David in his life. It's where he worked as a shepherd and learned to trust in the Lord. It's where he meets his team. It's where he learns forgiveness and to trust in God. It's where David's character is formed. But it's a key theme in the life of Jesus as well. And in the cave where Jesus was buried, in the darkest moment when it seemed that all was lost, that is where the greatest dawn began as the stone was rolled away and Jesus was raised back to life. And the promise is that as we follow his leadership, he will bring life to your life in whatever circumstance or cave you find yourself in. Amen. I'm going to invite Miles to come and lead us as we pray. What's well, an amazing word for you today from the scriptures. So wherever you are right now in the world, if you can, I'm going to encourage you. Would you please stand? And we're going to pray that simplest and oldest prayer of the church, which is come Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, be filled with the Spirit. The verb there is in the present continuous tense. In other words, ask to be filled over and over and over again because we need the strength of God, the presence of God, the love of God continuously poured into us to sustain us and to grow us at this time. So you might like to put your hands out in front of you like this. You don't have to, but it it, it can, I find it, it can be helpful body language, a way of saying, Lord, I'm ready to receive. And then let's pray this now in your heart. Just pray, come, Holy Spirit. I invite you again to pour your presence into the cave of my heart. Come, Holy Spirit.